chapter five part four of the quintessence of ibsenism by george bernard shaw this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter five the objective anti-idealist plays part four the lady from the sea eighteen eighty eight ibsen's next play though it deals with the old theme does not insist on the power of ideals to kill as the two previous plays do it rather deals with the origin of ideals in unhappiness and dissatisfaction with the real the subject of the lady from the sea is the most poetic fancy imaginable a young woman brought up on the sea-coast marries a respectable doctor a widower who idolizes her and places her in his household with nothing to do but dream and be made much of by everybody even the housekeeping is done by her stepdaughter she has no responsibility no care and no trouble in other words she is an idle helpless utterly dependent article of luxury a man turns red at the thought of being such a thing but he thoughtlessly accepts a pretty and fragile-looking woman in the same position as a charming natural picture the lady from the sea feels an indefinite want in her life she reads her want into all other lives and comes to the conclusion that man once had to choose whether he would be a land animal or a creature of the sea and that having chosen the land he has carried about with him ever since a secret sorrow for the element he has forsaken the dissatisfaction that gnaws her is as she interprets it this desperate longing for the sea when her only child dies and leaves her without the work of a mother to give her a valid place in the world she yields wholly to her longing and no longer cares for her husband who like rosmer begins to fear that she is going mad at last a seaman appears and claims her as his wife on the ground that they went years before through a rite which consisted of their marrying the sea by throwing their rings into it this man who had to fly from her in the old time because he killed his captain and who fills her with a sense of dread and mystery seems to her to embody the mystic attraction the sea has for her she tells her husband that she must go away with the seaman naturally the doctor expostulates declares that he cannot for her own sake let her do so mad a thing she replies that he can only prevent her by locking her up and asks him what satisfaction it will be to him to have her body under lock and key whilst her heart is with the other man in vain he urges that he will only keep her under restraint until the seaman goes that he must not dare not allow her to ruin herself her argument remains unanswerable the seaman openly declares that she will come so that the distracted husband asks him does he suppose he can force her from her home to this the seaman replies that on the contrary unless she comes of her own free will there is no satisfaction to him in her coming at all the unanswerable argument again she echoes it by demanding her freedom to choose her husband must cry off his law-made and church-made bargain renounce his claim to the fulfilment of her vows and leave her free to go back to the sea with her old lover then the doctor with a heavy heart drops his prate about his heavy responsibility for her actions and throws the responsibility on her by crying off as she demands the moment she feels herself a free and responsible woman 
all her childish fancies vanish the seaman becomes simply an old acquaintance whom she no longer cares for and the doctor's affection produces its natural effect in short she says no to the seaman and takes over the housekeeping keys from her stepdaughter without any further maunderings over that secret sorrow for the abandoned sea it should be noted here that elida the lady from the sea seems more fantastic to english readers than to norwegian ones the same thing is true of many other characters drawn by ibsen notably per gint who if born in england would certainly not have been a poet and metaphysician as well as a blackguard and a speculator the extreme type of norwegian as depicted by ibsen imagines himself doing wonderful things but does nothing he dreams as no englishman dreams and drinks to make himself dream the more until his effective will is destroyed and he becomes a broken-down disreputable sot carrying about the tradition that he is a hero and discussing himself on that assumption although the number of persons who dawdle their life away over fiction in england must be frightful and is probably increasing yet their talk is not the talk of ulrich brendel rosmer elida or per gint and it is for this reason that rosmer's home and the lady from the sea strike english audiences as more fantastic and less literal than a doll's house and the plays in which the leading figures are men and women of action though to a norwegian there is probably no difference in this respect hedda gabler eighteen ninety hedda gabler has no ethical ideals at all only romantic ones she is a typical nineteenth-century figure falling into the abyss between the ideals which do not impose on her and the realities she has not yet discovered the result is that though she has imagination and an intense appetite for beauty she has no conscience no conviction with plenty of cleverness energy and personal fascination she remains mean envious insolent cruel in protest against others happiness fiendish in her dislike of inartistic people and things a bully in reaction from her own cowardice hedda's father a general is a widower she has the traditions of the military caste about her and these narrow her activities to the customary hunt for a socially and pecuniarily eligible husband she makes the acquaintance of a young man of genius who prohibited by an ideal-ridden society from taking his pleasures except where there is nothing to restrain him from excess is going to the bad in search of his good with the usual consequences hedda is intensely curious about the side of life which is forbidden to her and in which powerful instincts absolutely ignored and condemned in her circle steal their satisfaction an odd intimacy springs up between the inquisitive girl and the rake whilst the general reads the paper in the afternoon louvborg and hedda have long conversations in which he describes to her all his disreputable adventures although she is the questioner she never dares to trust him all the questions are indirect and the responsibility for his interpretations rests on him alone hedda has no conviction whatever that these conversations are disgraceful but she will not risk a fight with society on the point it is easier to practise hypocrisy the homage that truth pays to falsehood than to endure ostracism when he proceeds to make advances to her 
hedda has again no conviction that it would be wrong for her to gratify his instinct and her own so that she is confronted with the alternative of sinning against herself and him or sinning against social ideals in which she has no faith making the coward's choice she carries it out with the utmost bravado threatening louvborg with one of her father's pistols and driving him out of the house with all that ostentation of outraged purity which is the instinctive defence of women to whom chastity is not natural much as libel actions are mostly brought by persons concerning whom libels are virtually if not technically justifiable hedda deprived of her lover now finds that a life of conformity without faith involves something more terrible than the utmost ostracism to wit boredom this scourge unknown among revolutionists is the curse which makes the security of respectability as dust in the balance against the unflagging interest of rebellion and which forces society to eke out its harmless resources for killing time by licensing gambling gluttony hunting shooting coursing and other vicious distractions for which even idealism has no disguise these licenses being expensive are available only for people who have more than enough money to keep up appearances and as hedda's father being in the army instead of in commerce is too poor to leave her much more than the pistols her boredom is only mitigated by dancing at which she gains much admiration but no substantial offers of marriage at last she has to find somebody to support her a good-natured mediocrity of a professor is the best that is to be had and though she regards him as a member of an inferior class and despises almost to loathing his family circle of two affectionate old aunts and the inevitable general servant who has helped to bring him up she marries him faux de mieux and immediately proceeds to wreck this prudent provision for her livelihood by accommodating his income to her expenditure instead of accommodating her expenditure to his income her nature so rebels against the whole sordid transaction that the prospect of bearing a child to her husband drives her almost frantic since it will not only expose her to the intimate solicitude of his aunts in the course of a derangement of her health in which she can see nothing that is not repulsive and humiliating but will make her one of his family in earnest to amuse herself in these galling circumstances she forms an underhand alliance with a visitor who belongs to her old set an elderly gallant who quite understands how little she cares for her husband and proposes a menage a trois to her she consents to his coming there and talking to her as he pleases behind her husband's back but she keeps her pistols in reserve in case he becomes seriously importunate he on the other hand tries to get some hold over her by placing her husband under pecuniary obligations as far as he can do it without being out of pocket meanwhile louvborg is drifting to disgrace by the nearest way drink in due time he descends from lecturing at the university on the history of civilization to taking a job in an out-of-the-way place as tutor to the little children of sheriff elvstead this functionary on being left a widower with a number of children marries their governess finding that she will cost him less and be bound to do more for him as his wife as for her she is too poor to dream of refusing such a settlement in life when louvborg comes his society is heaven to her 
he does not dare to tell her about his dissipations but he tells her about his unwritten books which he never discussed with hedda she does not dare to remonstrate with him for drinking but he gives it up as soon as he sees that it shocks her just as mr fearing in bunyan's story was in a way the bravest of the pilgrims so this timid and unfortunate mrs elvsted trembles her way to a point at which louvborg quite reformed publishes one book which makes him celebrated for the moment and completes another fair copied in her handwriting to which he looks for a solid position as an original thinker but he cannot now stay tutoring elvsted's children so off he goes to town with his pockets full of the money the published book has brought him left once more in her old lonely plight knowing that without her louvborg will probably relapse into dissipation and that without him her life will not be worth living mrs elvsted must either sin against herself and him or against the institution of marriage under which elvsted purchased his housekeeper it never occurs to her that she has any choice she knows that her action will count as a dreadful thing but she sees that she must go and accordingly elvsted finds himself without a wife and his children without a governess and so disappears unpitied from the story now it happens that hedda's husband jorgen tesman is an old friend and competitor for academic honours of louvborg and also that hedda was a schoolfellow of mrs elvsted or thea as she had better now be called thea's first business is to find out where louvborg is for hers is no preconcerted elopement she has hurried to town to keep louvborg away from the bottle a design she dare not hint at to himself accordingly the first thing she does in town is to call on the tesmans who have just returned from their honeymoon to beg them to invite louvborg to their house so as to keep him in good company they consent with the result that the two pairs are brought together under the same roof and the tragedy begins to work itself out hedda's attitude now demands a careful analysis louvborg's experience with thea has enlightened his judgment of hedda and he is in his gifted way an arrant poseur and male coquette he immediately tries to get on romantic terms with her for have they not a past by impressing her with a penetrating criticism that she is and always was a coward she admits that the virtuous heroics with the pistol were pure cowardice but she is still so void of any other standard of conduct than conformity to the conventional ideals that she thinks her cowardice consisted in not daring to be wicked that is she thinks that what she actually did was the right thing and since she despises herself for doing it and feels that he also rightly despises her for doing it she gets a passionate feeling that what is wanted is the courage to do wrong this unlooked-for reaction of idealism this monstrous but very common setting up of wrong-doing as an ideal and of the wrong-doer as hero or heroine qua wrong-doer leads hedda to conceive that when louvborg tried to seduce her he was a hero and that in allowing thea to reform him he has played the recreant in acting on this misconception she is restrained by no consideration for any of the rest like all people whose lives are valueless she has no more sense of the value of louvborg's or tesman's or thea's lives than a railway shareholder has of the value of a shunter's 
she gratifies her intense jealousy of thea by deliberately taunting lovborg into breaking loose from her influence by joining a carouse at which he not only loses his manuscript but finally gets into the hands of the police through behaving outrageously in the house of a disreputable woman whom he accuses of stealing it not knowing that it has been picked up by tesman and handed to hedda for safe keeping now hedda's jealousy of thea is not jealousy of her bodily fascination at that hedda can beat her it is jealousy of her power of making a man of lovborg of her part in his life as a man of genius the manuscript which tesman gives to hedda to lock up safely is in thea's handwriting it is the fruit of lovborg's union with thea he himself speaks of it as their child so when he turns his despair to romantic account by coming to the two women and making a tragic scene telling thea that he has cast the manuscript torn into a thousand pieces out upon the fjord and then when she is gone telling hedda that he has brought the child to a house of ill fame and lost it there she deceived by his posing and thirsting to gain faith in that beauty of her own influence over him from a heroic deed of some sort makes him a present of one of her pistols only begging him to do it beautifully by which she means that he is to kill himself in some manner that will make his suicide a romantic memory and an imaginative luxury to her forever he takes it unblushingly and leaves her with the air of a man who is looking his last on earth but the moment he is out of sight of his audience he goes back to the house where he still supposes the manuscript to lie stolen and there renews the wrangle of the night before using the pistol to threaten the woman with the result that he gets shot in the abdomen leaving the weapon to fall into the hands of the police meanwhile hedda deliberately burns the child then comes her elderly gallant to disgust her with the unromantically ugly details of the deed which lovborg promised her to do so beautifully and to make her understand that he himself has now got her into his power by his ability to identify the pistol she must either be the slave of this man or else face the scandal of the connection of her name at the inquest with a squalid debauch ending in a murder thea too is not crushed by lovborg's death ten minutes after she has received the news with a cry of heartfelt loss she sits down with tesman to reconstruct the child from the old notes she has piously preserved over the congenial task of collecting and arranging another man's ideas tesman is perfectly happy and forgets his beautiful hedda for the first time thea the trembler is still mistress of the situation holding the dead lovborg gaining tesman and leaving hedda to her elderly admirer who smoothly remarks that he will answer for mrs tesman not being bored whilst her husband is occupied with thea in putting the pieces of the book together however he is again reckoned without general gabbler's second pistol she shoots herself then and there and so the story ends end of chapter five part four recording by expatriate in bangor maine